Culture and Psychology with Tabana. A very warm hello to our Radio Bomb.Dot listeners. Uh, this is Saide Malik Afsali speaking. Uh, I'm sitting with Dr. Alexandradi, and uh, two of us today are running the show. Dr. Rockers is not here today. We wish him really well. He's on vacation this week, and he joins us uh, next week. But today, we want to talk about the food industry and the substance abuse. So the reason we wanted to talk about um, before the show, uh, Dr. Andrade and I were talking about Anthony Bourdain, um, who is a very famous character who was born, I think he was uh, born in 56. So when he passed, um, I think he was in 2018, he passed. So he was... um, how old was he? I can't do the math right away. But he, was, <laughs> he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't old, and he wasn't that young either. But um, he was a celebrity chef, and he authored many books, traveled uh, documentation um, that he um, printed, and um, it made it a book. And also culinary institution that he actually ran. Um, the Kitchen um, Confidential, The Adventures in the Culinary, um, I think Underbelly something was the name of his book, and so many other food networking that he had. And um, the reason today we want to talk about that, because we only was seeing something on the show from him that was fun, that was interesting. And I know many people that I have talked to, they always envied what he was doing. And they always said, this is the most favorable job someone could have because he travels, he meets people, he eats food. And that was all we were witnessing on the surface. But when he um, committed suicide, it was a shock for many young people and many people around the world, because people loved watching him, and people were connected to him, and um, they just were part of, he was part of many people's lives because of his programs that he was showing on CNN. And what was behind his suicide? I mean, I don't know how much we know, but as as much as um, we want to know there's something very obvious that probably everybody by now has found out that he was alcoholist. Um, And that was the major part that he was fighting with his depression. And, um, and we know also there are other people in the entertainment industry that they're famous and they um, actually committed suicide and depression was a main part of this whole decision that finally made and committed suicide. So let's talk about that, Dr. Andrade, and what causes um, people go towards alcohol or other substances. Yeah, and I will say, because I've, I've heard a little bit, uh, I, I didn't really uh, follow him too much or, or kind of watch a lot of the things that he'd done. However, uh, I know the, the movie, I believe it's called Roadrunner, uh, that came out, uh, I think earlier this year, um, a lot of people talked about, it was a very powerful, uh, moving movie 
talked about his, his wrestling with depression, his wrestling with substance use, uh, as you mentioned, even wrestling with fame. Um, and it's something where I think it, it highlights something I've heard from patients who I've worked with over the years who work in the food industry and kind of the, the nature <clears throat> of how the food industry, um, uh, you know, can, can fit as well as even contribute to mental health issues. And so the, uh, the need for accepting that mental health treatment is something that, that people need to start to incorporate in their, you know, in their, in their health, uh, as well as something that companies need to be aware of, uh, you know, food industry companies need to be aware of. Uh, along those lines in Sacramento, there's a program called I Got Your Back, and it emphasizes mental health treatment and services for people in the food industry, uh, where I've worked with individuals and they've shared how, you know, there can be a lot of substance use because if you work at a restaurant or a bar uh, at some point in the night or even at some point in the day, you might start drinking, uh, have a couple of drinks uh, enough where you can still do your job, but you are drinking a couple of drinks every single day or at the end of the night um, you're drinking as you guys are closing up and then, you know, people are, are leaving drunk or uh, hooking up with other uh, coworkers. And then we get, you know, risky sexual behaviors. Um, and so then it's like, there's, it becomes this, this whirlpool of things that we're trying to manage in our life. Yet, if that's our job, we, you know, maybe work in the night and sleep during the day. And then just kind of that becomes our whole world. And so, uh, and similarly too, I've had individuals uh, who experience anxiety and say they work at a bar and, and I, I was given this example, which it kind of makes sense. They're like at the bar, I have control because I can stand, you know, on the other side of the bar, there's a physical barrier between you and another person. And you can talk to that person as much or as little as you want. So if you're not enjoying that experience or that person is not somebody you want to interact with, you, you say as little as you need to, you serve them their drinks, and then you move on. Where in life, it's harder to do. You know, if you're working with coworkers at an office or a boss you don't like, you're right there with them. So it's interesting how, you know, working those hours, you know, allow people to, to be grocery shopping when everybody else is at work. You know, it's like if you work, uh, you know, nights, you go grocery shopping in the morning when everybody's at work. So you don't have to feel as anxious if you went on Sunday when everybody else is grocery shopping. Um, also too, the, the substance use becomes a part of one of the ways you maybe cope with that anxiety or that depression. So again, it's, it's, it's always interesting to me uh, when individuals work in the field, uh, you know, in the food industry, maybe, you know, beyond what seems like, you know, a job that maybe is, you know, fun for them, or maybe one that, you know, maybe doesn't pay so well, yet they continue is, you know, is there something else kind of going on with them? And not, I'm not saying all people in the food industry have mental health issues, but when an, an environment is conducive to those types of behaviors without us questioning it, it, it's something really important to look at. And with, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain, it sounds like that was something that, you know, that environment, you would think, like you said, oh, you could go travel the world and eat and do all these things. It's not to say that, you know, a person still isn't struggling. And sometimes that environment hurt or contributes versus helps those things as well. So I'm a big advocate for obviously for mental health services in general, but then also within the food industry, I think that's something that 
it's so important that programs such as I Got Your Back here in Sacramento um, are, are really trying to highlight and bring that to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was going to go back to um, Anthony Bourdain's early life. Uh, from what we know, he never complained about anything about his childhood. His uh, father was a Catholic, his mother was a Jewish, and um, they didn't practice, neither going to church, neither going to synagogue. So he grew up with um, basically not believing in any um, organized religion, even though by name he was a Jewish, you know, he said, that doesn't, um, I remember uh, in one of the interviews, he said something about that doesn't make me any less Jewish if I don't practice, you know, but I was going to say, so even though he didn't have any, when we go from a psychological point of view, he didn't have any um, misery in childhood or he didn't have um you know, less attention or less love from his parents. Uh, the lifestyle is one issue, but also the chemistry of the brain is another. And then sometimes things trigger those. And I was just thinking, you know, traveling, even though it seems really fun and enjoyable, but he had a really big mission, and that was creating all these shows for CNN. It doesn't seem to be easy, but what we saw in the surface was just the wonderful places that he visited and with people he met and the food he ate and all of that. But as you said, even here and there, we always saw him drinking, you know, with the food. So that became part of his life. But on the other hand, I was just thinking because he wasn't in a stable place to call home, and he was constantly traveling. Sometimes you feel lonely, you know, because you don't belong to one specific place. Then you meet all these people. You have some sort of connection and then you leave them. Then you go to a new place. Um, I have experienced that in a very, very small portion of it because there was a time I was going around California and teaching to teachers for one of the credentials they had to get and pass. And I remember every um, two weeks, I was going to one place. In two weeks, as an intensive um, course, I was um, teaching um, all these curriculum, and then I would move on to another place. At the beginning, it was hard to get used to where I am and meeting with all these people that I don't know. The first day, I remember every time I went to a hotel, to a new place, um, even though I was so busy, really reviewing my curriculum, reviewing what I'm going to do and all of that. But um, it wasn't it wasn't that fun to think, you know, you're you're getting paid well, you're meeting all these people, um, you know, everything pretty much um, is. it's wonderful. All these people, they want to come and talk to you. They want to invite you to dinner because you're in that town and you don't know anybody. But still, uh, it was just a feeling of loneliness, you know. And I was just thinking, if I was doing that for a long time, 
this was maybe for a couple of years I was doing, but it wasn't any fabulous memory for me, even though I saw all these places and I get paid well, and I met all these wonderful people. At the end of every session, after two weeks, I had all these gifts from teachers. I had all this wonderful evaluation from all these people. It was all good, but why wasn't I so happy that now I'm not settled. I'm moving to another place. And I was just thinking about Anthony Bourdain. Could that be also part of this? Maybe I was lucky that the serotonin in my brain was not low. <laughs> Otherwise, who knows, really, because that's part of the chemistry of the brain. If you um, actually have or one of those that the chemistry of your brain is not um, uh, producing all these hormones that you need for happiness, uh, for encouragement, for a living. So what happens, especially if you're not a stable, if you if you don't have someone stable that uh, you know is your support is there for you, or whether it's parents, your siblings, or someone. And I think he was lonely pretty much. Along those lines, too, the idea of, like you said, the genetic predisposition, always, one of the ways I've come to understand that is it's not we either or, or we either do or we don't have depression. It's like, for example, people's parents can suffer from depression. <clears throat> and that doesn't mean automatically you're going to have depression, too, but it makes you at risk for that. And sometimes it's a matter of you know, having, you know, a challenging uh, or difficult, you know, childhood, like you mentioned, that can kind of tip the scales. Uh, but sometimes a person can have, you know, a, a healthy and, you know, average of whatever that means, uh, kind of childhood. Um, but then as an adult, you know, maybe they don't know how to manage stress as well, or they deal with things that others don't have to do with hacks them in, in a unique way where it ends up becoming something that leads to anxiety or depression. So, I think that's one of the toughest pieces of it sometimes is it's and it's a question that people ask a lot, like, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening now? Like before I used to handle these things well, or before it was, you know, something that didn't uh, manifest in this way, um, for whatever reason, sometimes it changes and it becomes something that becomes even more challenging, even more difficult. So that pre, pre genetic predisposition isn't a cause and effect. It's like, okay, this is happening. You know, families have this, this mental health issue. So I'm going to have that. If anything, it makes it where it's even more important to be, uh, uh, be aware of how we handle stress, uh, the social support that we have, those healthy uh, kind of interventions and strategies that we build in our life to give to ourselves and take care of ourselves. And so, you know, like you said, I think a lot of times, especially after somebody, uh, there's death by suicide, people look to try to understand like what went wrong? You know, why, why did this lead to this? And I think it's one of the hardest things about it sometimes is there, there very rarely uh, an answer that leaves somebody feeling as though it's, it, it's, it's, it warrants their, their death and their passing in that way. Instead, it just feels like a loss that could have been, avoided or could have been, you know, helped in some way. And so I think that's one of the hardest pieces about uh, people who die by suicide is, is there's that more that you wish you could do for them, that more that you wish that they may be seen in their own life and their own worth in that way. And it's not, 
I don't always think of it as a choice as far as something that they want it, but sometimes the the impact of those mental health issues lead them to feel isolated, disconnected, where they they act in a way that unfortunately ends in their ends their life. And so it's hard because it's it may not even align with the person of what people know them to be, but instead that those mental health issues, uh, consuming them and overpowering them to that degree where they feel that that is the only option or they act. And that ends up really kind of creating, you know, a cascade of, of just unfortunate situations that lead to their death. Uh, we got to our uh, break and I want to say some words in Farsi. شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد اگه صدای ما رو از رادیو بامداد به زبان انگلیسی میشنوین ما روزهای شنبه و شنبه از ساعت 12 تا 1 بعد از ظهر در رادیو بامداد به زبان انگلیسی موضوعات روانشناسی، فرهنگی، صحبت‌های روزمره رو دنبال می‌کنیم و امروز تا کنون داشتیم راجع به از مرگ آنتونی بردین که در سال 2018 اتفاق افتاد صحبت کردیم چرا یه آدمی که انقدر مشهور بود و زندگی خوبی داشت و شاید مورد حسرت خیلی ها قرار داشت خودکشی کرد و ما به خصوص راجع به الکل و مواد مخدر صحبت کردیم که چقدر به صورت منفی اثر میگذاره برمیگردیم و دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم We are back with uh, Dr. Andrade. Today, Dr. Um, Rockers is not with us. It's just two of us. Uh, we are from Tavana Organization. Uh, we work with Radio Bomb.Dot um, on our show. We talk about current events, um, anything from psychological um, issues to cultural. And today we are talking about the substance abuse and people who actually self-medicate themselves with substances. 
and uh, why some of the people as famous as Anthony Bourdain um, would just commit suicide. And we have seen other very famous, um, wealthy people that many people would envy their life. Um, they commit suicide or they attempt suicide. So um, how can we um, actually fight with depression, Dr. Andrade? I think What's it speaks- the most important part? Well, I think it speaks to even even just that idea of, you know, depression, as well as even suicide. Nobody knows what anybody else is going through. And I think it's one of those things I'm a big advocate of, you know, always try to reach out. And I may be jumping into the show as far as messages that we want to leave with our listeners. But I think it's important to say it now. Nobody knows what anybody else is experiencing. And so, you know, I think social support, our social network is so important, always being able to reach out to those that we care about and, you know, us trying to reach out at times. I think a lot of times with depression, people feel alone, they feel isolated, uh, feel disconnected. And a lot of times those behaviors uh, can, can contribute to that. A lot of times people will avoid social interaction, social contact. Uh, it's a hard question when people are asking, hey, how have you been? Where it's like somebody's not going to say, well, I've been really depressed and feeling like crap and hating myself. It's easier to avoid even interacting with anybody. And so a lot of times the, the social, social isolation, the disconnection uh, can be major contributors to uh, you know, the depression as well as even that suicidal ideation. Uh, one, of the, one of the major um, kind of risk factors associated with uh, suicidal ideation too is hopelessness. Uh, people will have, you know, will sometimes verbalize a sense of feeling hopeless, feeling powerless, feeling uh, worthless, uh, not having impact on anybody in their life, uh, even sometimes feeling like a burden to those that they love and care about. And so those can be some of the things that you, you hear, you get a sense of from somebody who's really struggling. Um, interestingly, one of the, the risk factors associated with suicidal ideation is people giving away their possessions, as well as even people being depressed and then interestingly or surprisingly in a very positive mood. And so it's like, well, this person went from feeling really depressed to feeling really good. And that's sometimes a risk factor because it kind of signals for them. They've made that point in their mind that, yes, I'm going to do this. And they feel a sense of relief in that there's an answer, there's a solution. And so a lot of times the the, the powerlessness, the hopelessness that comes with, you know, feeling depressed as well as even feeling, uh, experiencing the suicidal ideation can be things that a person is going through all on their own uh, while there are people around them. So uh, again, I think it's, you know, being able to, to recognize some of those risk factors as well as even, uh, you know, if not therapy, you know, being able to, you know, reach out to those who can give some support and some help, whether that's a person's medical doctor, whether that's uh, some religious uh, affiliation or connection, or even friends, uh, just somebody who they can reach out to, so that they can try to get some support, get some assistance in some way. But that's definitely at the same time, one of the biggest challenges with it, a person can be going through something that feels so overwhelming and so consuming that, you know, there isn't an answer for it, or they feel like it's their fault. Um, and, and so they end up becoming more and more isolated, more and more disconnected. Um, but, you know, as you, as you talk with somebody and as you work with somebody, you find that, you know, there's a part of them sometimes that knows that people loves them. Um, and so to really be able to 
foster that, to encourage that. Uh, depression, it gives people tunnel vision where it feels like none of those things matter. None of those things are possible again. So it, it's definitely one of the the hardest pieces when it comes to trying to help somebody to, to make them realize that, you know, these things that they're going to, there couldn't be options, there couldn't be solutions. Uh, sometimes, as you mentioned earlier, side A, even medications that could be helpful. Um, there can be help out there, just being able to encourage somebody to use that help. Sure. And also, uh, depressive uh, disorder, depressive disorder includes uh, major depressive disorder, persistent um, this depressive disorder and disruptive mood dysregulation. That's why I wanted to mention that uh, sometimes uh, one of the things we need to watch is change of the mood. Um, so there are ways that we can find out whether someone is uh, experiencing depression. Um, and one of the part is to check their mood change, their behavior change, if they have poor appetite, or if they're overeating, because that happens as well, uh, insomnia or hypersomnia, uh, feelings of hopelessness, as you mentioned, and um, for at least two years in a row. But before we get to the end of this situation where it gets very serious, we need to definitely read about it, talk about it, see a specialist, because you don't want to get to a point that is too late to take the person to um, the specialist. So you want to take care of this situation as early as possible. But also I wanted to say that this mood dysregulation may be part of bipolar disorder. So sometimes uh, depressive disorder and bipolar, especially those that they have uh, depressive mood with bipolar um, more so, which is um we have two kinds of bipolar, so we don't want to get into all this mechanical and specialty part of it, but it's always good to check and see where we are with someone that lives with us or we hear about and is lo our loved ones. We need to make sure that we take care of it. We know that a lot of people go through baby blues. There are days that we don't feel right, the days that we are happier that's normal. Baby blue, we, we, we all have um, experienced that. But when it gets to a point that we don't want to get out of the bed, when we get to a point that maybe we don't have enough sleep at night and this continues, then definitely, although I know we are not so much fond of medication as much as um, we try not to go with medication, we usually say, check your diet, exercise, make sure you have your social life, um, you know, happening and meet with people you enjoy, have some enjoyment part in your life. But when it gets to a point that none of this works, then medication kicks in and um, not every medication is bad. Sometimes by a small dose of medication, we can change someone's life. But going back to what we were saying, and one more thing I wanted to say also, there's seasonal um, depressive mood also that we call um, seasonal um yeah, seasonal affective disorder, affective which we talked disorder. about. We talked about well, we have an episode about that too. So listeners can go back and listen yeah, to it. Right, about, right. But I'm just saying especially that too, yeah. now 
that we are in this season, that might happen. That goes away and it's just seasonal, but we need to know all these differences. So yeah, it's it's really important to have that support system that you said, Alex, um, you know, having a good support system helps us a lot. Um, and I think different cultures have uh, even more strong, um, stronger support system. We know in your culture, Alex, in our culture, there's so much community ha- things happening. There's so much friendship, love of family, family gathering. But in um, some cultures or some even cultures within cultures, there are people who are living um, in a different lifestyle. Uh, they're lonely, they're by themselves, uh, they don't socialize a lot, they don't have family around them. Um, so it's important to establish some groups of friends and some, um, you know, even hobbies that brings us together with other people. Because I think those are important in life to just be busy with things that you love to do. And um, you have to find what are your interests? What is what is it that you want to do? And find people that they have similar interests and get together with them, create things that you like um, to happen and uh, have some projects have some great uh, reasons for getting up from your bed. I know a lot of people are working, but for those that they don't work, maybe they're either retired or they're looking for a job, um, you know, try to um, make your life more meaningful by by things that you do. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, again, with the, you know, the Anthony Bourdain, it's, it's a great example too, of how, you know, you never know what somebody is going through and what somebody is experiencing, even if sometimes people feel like, well, that person has it all. Um, so I say, you know, it's important to, to check in, not just when somebody's struggling, uh, but just even from time to time, I encourage, you know, make that a habit. You know, I, I nowadays with, uh, you know, social media and texting, one of the things I encourage is when you're feeling you know, like a little lonely or a little disconnected, you know, you never know that somebody you care about might be feeling that same way. And so even if you just send them a text, like, Hey, hope you're well, I was thinking about you, um, you know, cause they may need that just as much as you need that. And they may not respond to you right there in that moment, but even just when they do get that, and maybe when they do respond to that, you know, maybe it'll hit home at that point. And if anything, even just knowing sometimes too, that we're, we're trying to take care of others. I find very commonly, it's, we can be really good about being understanding and compassionate and kind to others, but we can struggle to do that for ourselves. I find very commonly with individuals who experience depression, you know, they, they care so much about others and they struggle to, to give themselves that same compassion, that same care. And so to be able to recognize that, you know, you can give that to somebody else, even in those moments that you're feeling your lowest or your weakest can give you something too. It, it can help both of you in that way. And again, going back to the, the food industry, again, there's so much that in our everyday lives, you know, there's the the busyness and the work and, and the chaos sometimes that can be related to family, you know, a family, like you're saying, can be the source of support, but I also find they can be the source of stress too. Um, but, you know, knowing that, you know, that in our jobs, you know, what are those, what are those risks? What are those, those areas that can, can contribute maybe in a way that lead to more stress or that come with stress. And as I mentioned earlier in the food industry, 
you know, the hours sometimes can be rough. Uh, you know, the demands of, you know, customers can be rough. Um, the ease and access of substance use can be uh, something that leads to, 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 to using and consuming more than we realize. And so I think no matter what industry you work in, um, you really need to look at what are those, those risk factors that can contribute to you maybe not coping with things in the best way, or, you know, just kind of checking out in that way, you know, substances, um, unfortunately can be good in that way. They're a quick, easy way to alter our mood and maybe not to feel the, those feelings that we're feeling as intensely, but there can be consequences with that. Uh, ones that maybe we don't have to pay immediately, but down the line can impact us way more than we want to, especially if we're dealing with mental health issues. We know that the combination of alcohol or any other substance and mental health issues, it, it, it tends to just, you know, not even multiply them, but to extrapolate them to a degree where it can be really hard to, to manage, really hard to cope in the way that we can if we're free from those substances, free from from that influence. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, you know, um, I can come back and talk about this. So now that we got to another break, I'll take a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's just have a break and then we can talk about uh, the rest of our conversation. Shanwandagan Aziz Radio Bomdad, Man Saide Malik Afsali, Behamrahe, Dr. Daniel Rock. Sorry, Dr. Daniel Rockers. با ما نیست امروز با دکتر الکساندراده در خدمتون هستیم و صحبت های امروزمون راجب کلن شروع کردیم از انتونی بردین که یکی از برنامه های مهم سی رو داشت و خیلی این برنامه رو تماشا میکردن و این شخص در سال 2018 خودکشی کرد ما شروع کردیم صحبتمون رو از به اندستری قضا و اینکه چطوری همراه میشه خیلی وقتا با نوشیدن الکل و یا حتی بعد وقتی که ادامه پیدا میکنه به استفاده از مواد مخدر و چجوری دیپرشن و اینها به مرور اتفاق میفته و باعث اتفاقات به سلام مثل همون انتونی بردین که خودشو کش شد و خیلی از مشهورین و معروفین که در اثر خودکشی جونشون رو از دست دادن چراها پشت سرش هست و ما نگاههایی به زندگی اینها و به طور کلی چرا آدمها دچار دیپرشن میشن دچار انگزایتی میشن و راجع به اون برمیگردیم ادامه صحبتمون رو میدیم
We're back with uh, Dr. Andrade, and this is Saide Malik Absali speaking. Uh, it's the last part of our conversation regarding um, uh, the food industry, the alcohol use or substance abuse and depression. Uh, Dr. Andrade, I was going to say, um, we know that year after year, National Institute um, sends a list of jobs that have highest suicide rates. And we also know that money seems to be one main reason of a struggle for almost everyone. We need to have money to run our life. But how much money seems like, is it enough? Do we go for prestigious positions? Do we go for making more money? Almost every job seems to have some level of a stress. We know that. But one of the uh, top a new release of 10 top highest suicidal jobs. It's um, the first one is medical doctors, you know, the amount of a stress. Dentists is, is the next one. Police officers, veterinarians, financial services, real estate agents, electricians, lawyers, farmers, and pharmacists. So, you know, it's really interesting when you think about it. These people are the ones who went through study hard for years to become doctors, to become dentists, to become pharmacists. Um, you know, it's interesting. On the one hand, you see these people as a successful individuals in our communities. And then the ones that are making good money and they have prestige. But on the other hand, we know what goes on behind, behind the scene. It's the same as talking about Anthony Bourdain's. You know, you see something on the surface and you think they have everything that someone would love to have. But we don't know the amount of a stress. We don't know behind the scene. We don't know what they go through. So that's why they come home, you know, self um, medication. What is self-medication? The first thing we have access to is alcohol. Let's just have a shot so that we can calm down and we can have dinner. We can just relax. So that leads to more and more and more. And sometimes we don't realize that what we are doing is in surface, getting rid of that anxiety, stress, um, and then that leads to depression gradually. So it's important to really look at things uh, in a different, um, but with different lenses. What do we call success? What do we call happy life? What do we call, we are not discouraging people going to those professions because I know there's such ambition in people to get to that. And there are different personalities for different jobs. Sensitive people probably have different outlook to life and to their profession. People who care more about their patients probably perceive their daily life differently by getting involved in their patients' uh, you know, life. And even realtors, I didn't know they're in the 10 top list of uh, stressful um, job um, you know, because you think, oh, you know, they get up whenever they want. They just set up their own schedule um, and all of that. And I'm sure there's so many other jobs that um, it's not being obviously listed because these are the top high ones. 
but um, it's important to talk about that too. Let me ask a, a Daniel Rockers type question uh, to both of us. Uh, I guess it, it would be along the lines of, you know, are we surprised by that list and who is on it? And in thinking about that, you know, a lot of those individuals that you listed are helpers, uh, they're caretakers, they're people who do and give to others. And as I mentioned earlier, people with depression sometimes can be better at giving to others than giving to themselves. And so I find a lot of times it's not surprising that it's the people who are helping and the people who are giving that struggle with uh, depression and even struggle with suicidal ideation in that way. What about you? Are you surprised by who is on that list? Uh, I was just a little bit surprised about uh, the, well, financial officers I can see because they're dealing with people's money and, um, you know, advising people. There's a lot of stress. Real estate, I was surprised because I thought, you know, people who want to invest their money into properties, they do that by their choice, you know. So when you think about comparison of other jobs with the stress, uh, maybe I don't know so much about that, but I feel I was surprised by that because I thought, okay, you are a realtor. You find several lists of places that you want to show me. I go see those places with my choice, with understanding what I'm going through. I go through, um, you know, the process and I get where I want. But then that's the end of our contact with that person, you know. I don't know. Maybe there are. I'm sure there are. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the list. But I would be interested to talk to my friend um, who is a realtor to see what are the aspects of her job that I don't understand. One thing I hear from realtors, I'm not too surprised by that, actually, because one of the things I do hear from them is that they they have to like make their own work. Like they have to go and, and find people who want to buy the houses. And then even the, from my understanding of the way the, 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 real, the real estate companies are set up, it's like you go and you work for somebody, but you don't you, like they get a cut of what you make, but you have to do a lot of the legwork. So it's almost like this idea, like you should be grateful to be working under my name, but just because you're using my office and my name, you're, I'm going to get a piece of that. So a lot of times I'll, uh, I've had patients who work in real estate. There's a lot of hours, a lot of cold calling, uh, you know, for every person you talk to, it's not that there is going to come a sale from that or a purchase from that. I've heard you can call, you know, hundreds of people and you might get one kind of lead that can lead to something uh, that actually produces money. Uh, the other piece to it too, a lot of times there's not, there, there can be a lot of rewards financially, but it's not a paycheck every two weeks. It, it may be months. Uh, I've heard even sometimes years before you get like these huge payouts. So yeah, you got to check for, you know, $30,000, but you know, if you're getting one every three months or six months, and you don't know for certain that you're getting it because, again, it comes to the, all the uncertainty of those phone calls and things like that, uh, that, that the inconsistency and that instability may be uh, something that's really hard for people. And so it's definitely something I've seen uh, uh, in my practice, people who work real, real estate, uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot that they're having to navigate in that way. So, um, yeah, it definitely could be a challenging way. Well, that's, that's really, um, I mean, interesting and Thank you for sharing that because 
I wasn't aware of uh, that again, but we go back to behind the scene because, uh, for example, I see my friend uh, and also another friend who are relators and they're doing really well. And you don't see behind the scene what the struggles do they have. So absolutely, what if they don't sell enough to run their life? So probably the stress part is about that. And I'm sure, you know, in our profession, we see so many reasons for seeing what people go through. You know, even when you think of all these disorders that people are facing themselves or their children or their relatives and close family members, and they have to deal daily with those people, with their issues, and then not to mention even our jobs with the profession we have that daily we have to go through all of this. I remember at one point, um, psychology job was one of the five top highest stressful job. And I um, I can relate to that, but mm-hmm. um, I didn't see it in this list. But generally speaking, um, when you think about it, there are so many issues in life, um, you know, the grief the loss, the identity issue, people who are going through relationship issues, people who have, um, you know, stress over different things, the substance abuse, uh, health issues that people are dealing with, so many issues that we daily deal with are, are things that reality of people's life. And what makes us strong is looking around us and don't think other people are having a fabulous life and they show off those fabulous life with pictures in Instagram or Facebook, but we don't see what they go through behind the scene. Um, Something that sometimes, and we know there are theories in psychology that if we actually tell ourselves that we are happy, we are living a good life and continue saying that to ourselves, partly that affects us. So maybe by that, they're trying to tell themselves that they have a happy life. But if we really deeply look at things are happening around the world, we realize we are not alone. We are not the only one going through that. And the more we know about that, the less um, we feel like that's, that, that's the only one who's going through is me. And it's important sometimes to talk about it and to bring it up um, in conversation, in communication, because that's sort of therapy. And I always feel like there are some cultures that naturally they do therapy. They sit together, a group of people, they talk about their issues and somebody else talks about their issue. And then you realize that everybody is, is having some sort of issue, some sort of problem, some sort of not things going well for them. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, it's so important to be able to have that support and that help and it be ingrained in your life in that way. So I'm always a big advocate if it's like a girl's night or a guy's night or, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, Sunday, you know, lunch with family or those things that are kind of routine that give you that support even in those small ways. And again, it's one of those things, if we don't feel like we need it, that's okay. It still gives you something to have those, those connections and those supports. And then that way, when you do need it, it's already there. You don't have to go search for that or try to build that. Cause it's hard when we're not feeling good to reach out. And then if we are having to build while we're not feeling so good, it's even tougher in that way. So yeah, I totally agree with you. 
All right. So we got to the end of our show. Um, we want to say our last statement um, and see, we can start with you, Dr. Andrade. Yeah, I feel like we've been this whole show has been things we've been encouraging people, which is great because I, I, I definitely don't think we should always save that towards the end. Uh, I think it's something that hopefully throughout the conversation, people are able to recognize. And I think a lot of times in thinking about like culturally, how it can be, there's so much stigma in asking for help. Uh, it's not something that, you know, people feel is acceptable or normal. Um, you know, you hear things like, oh, I'm not crazy or, you know, oh, I'm not weak. Uh, it's not about being crazy. It's not about being weak. It's just that we're human. We're human and we have stress. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no guidebook. There's no manual for how to, how to live life and, and how, to, how to get through life. We all have different experiences that contribute and impact us in ways that can feel very unique. But if we're definitely not reaching out to others, connecting with others, it feels even more isolating and more disconnecting. So, uh, you know, I'd say be aware of reflect on what are some of those cultural beliefs that you have about, you know, therapy and counseling, you know, one way to do that is we can think of like, what would our parents say if we were going to share that we were going to counseling or what would our grandparents say if they were, we were going to say that. And just be aware that those messages uh, can come from a place sometimes of care and concern of you not wanting to struggle or things be difficult, but also they can not serve us so well if we're not getting the help that we need and the support that we need. Uh, and so whether it's therapy, whether it's friends, whether it's, you know, a, a priest or, or, you know, pastor or something that allows us to be able to get some support, some help, um, I think it's something I really want to encourage and support. What about you, Saida? What would you like to leave listeners with today? Yeah, whatever you said, I second. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I want to say, you know, we all go through stress. We all go through ups and downs in life. So um, I want to go back to um, alcohol drinking, uh, just to make sure that I send this message to all that when we drink alcohol, not only we go through the nasty hangover, but we um, our brain is affected, making us feeling anxious and depressed. And not only we are feeling sad, alcohol negatively affects our sleep, makes us tired, irritable, and impacts our work. So these are just naming a few, but um, Alcohol drinking leads to few drinks after work to help us get over the stress that we bring home, but it's a vicious cycle and starts all over again. So we need to think deeply when uh, we are stressed from work. What are other ways we can fight with our stress? Maybe um, taking a class of yoga, maybe meeting with friends that you love to meet, maybe getting out for dinner with your loved ones, with your um, friends, just create some other ways to fight with your stress. And um, I really want to reiterate this, whatever um, Dr. Andrade said, it's important to really um, try to have that um, notion of being in center all the time. Try to remember that life is not all about 
work. Life is not all about making money. Life is all about you, your loved ones, having fun, enjoy uh, things you're doing and taking care of yourself. With that, I want to wish you a wonderful week ahead. And we're going to come back next week um, to talk about another topic. And uh, we leave you with um, sweet sleep, good thoughts, and good deed. سرد درختا یادگاری نبشتی با من اندوه جدایی نمیدانی چه ها نفرین به دست سر تو را از من جدا
تو بر روی رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا